Here we go again. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neon Belly Podcast. We are your hosts, John and Brandon. And today, we will be discussing the aftermath of UFC 293. We have an and new, a bunch of great fights, and a bunch of finishes to talk about. And then, we have our picks and predictions for this coming weekend's Noche UFC. And finally, all the news and happenings in the world of mixed martial arts and everywhere else. Brandon, how are we feeling about UFC 293? So, okay, so I generally have a tough time falling asleep after mm-hmm. after the pay-per-views, right? And this one especially, I don't think I fell asleep, honestly, till like, close to 334. Like, I just could not stop thinking in my head, like, how the fight went down. Why did the fight go down the way it did? What does this mean for the division? What are the next matches? Like, I just spent so much time, like, just ruminating, so... I'm just now like kind of coming down from all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, it was a late night for me. Yeah, I think we have an adjustment period to what I'm calling the new timeline. That's what I'm titling <laughs> the new uh, this episode 150 of the Neon Belly podcast where, you know, things are changing. I mean, this whole year has been a thing of changing champions and, mm-hmm. and kind of changing of the guard. So um, I, I, too, had a little bit of trouble um, kind of calming down a little bit yeah. kind of settling in and realizing like you know we have to talk about this yeah. in less than 24 hours well, so. we'll get into it but yeah i mean you especially because it was your boy yeah i mean your no. lonely heart and it, it was just you were surprisingly not emotional throughout you know what it fight. was what's that we'll talk about it but i just kind of felt a little bit of a i, I didn't feel right hmm. from it i don't know it was it was, it was weird but hmm. um obviously no nate today he's out on vacation but yeah. we're gonna get you guys through it um we got a lot to get into but before we jump into it Rate, Rate, subs, follow. follow, you know what to do. All right. So every week, guys, we ask you to do this. We want you to spread the love. We're trying to we're trying to become famous out here. We're trying to become well-known. We want to be the guys that one of the go-tos in the MMA world. So you can give us some follows on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. You can give us some rates and follows. On Spotify, you can give us a five-star review. And then also on Apple Podcasts, you can give us a written review there and five stars as well. Um, so give us some follows, guys, um, at Neon Belly Podcast. All righty. Well, for me, let's rip the Band-Aid off. And for the rest of the world, let's ask the question that's resonated the strongest after this past Saturday's main event. What just happened? Um, I don't have Nate's uh, soundboard, but as it is customary for this instance, I have to give a and new for Sean Strickland. Sean Sean Strickland defeating Israel Adesanya by unanimous decision, 49-46 across the boards to become the new undisputed UFC middleweight champion of the world. And I don't know about you, but I'm not even sure what I saw was real. (laughs) I think a lot of people felt that way. Like waking up today was, felt like they were in a totally different reality, new dimension. Yeah, and I mean, even it kind of felt like Sean Strickland felt that way after the fight. Yeah. Um... So, Sean Strickland drops Izzy in the first round. Um, Izzy comes back in round two and starts finding his range a little bit. Round three is a little bit closer, but Izzy can't seem to find his jab or his leg kick. Uh, Strickland finds a home for his jab and continues to suffocate Izzy's shots with his defense. Rounds four or five are a bunch of the same with Sean constantly keeping Izzy on his back foot, not allowing Adesanya to get any sense of rhythm. Just a perfect game plan and one that I don't think anybody saw coming, especially with the knowledge that it was a 25-minute stand-up fight. I think that's what's the crazy is, well, first of all, I don't think Adesanya ever found his range. I think mm-hmm. that was part of the problem. And I think, like, what's crazy is you say, you know, no, the game plan no one saw coming. 
it all Strickland did was exactly what Strickland does to everybody. Right. He, he walked him down. He kept the jab in his face. Um, I I think the the thing nobody expected, to, from my opinion, is him dropping Izzy. Mm-hmm. I I really think, regardless of what Izzy might say or Eugene might say, I think him dropping him played a really big role because I don't think anyone thought that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So when it did, I think Izzy was constantly left with this entire time of like, okay, well now I have to deal with this power I didn't think he had. And I, I think as a result, Izzy just kind of never felt comfortable. He kind of kept trying to play that, maybe that possum game, mm-hmm. you know, getting his back against the fence. And Strickland, again, never really bid on anything. Even when he had Izzy hurt, he seemed very calm and, and patient throughout mm-hmm. the entire process. So, I mean, just, man, and there's so much we can say about this fight, but just hats off to Strickland, I think, for checking all the kicks that he did, not getting overzealous in any moment, and just sticking to his game plan. And um, Izzy just... It was interesting. There was just some differences in terms of the corner work. It seemed like him and Eugene weren't really on the same page with some stuff. And, yeah, what a crazy night. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and it could also be because, you know, Izzy's been dropped before. You look Mm -hmm. at the Gasolum fight, um, even being hurt, and obviously both of the Pajeda fights with the leg kicks and stuff. And um, So we've seen him kind of have those situations. But I think it is more than the knockdown. I think it's the fact that he literally could not – I mean, he couldn't touch – um, Strickland's face at all I mean the guy looked just like he did when he came in um, and I think Izzy felt like he had to do the possum thing to get him to open up because otherwise he couldn't get past that um, defense mm-hmm. you know I have in my notes that um, that Philly shell type of defense that he uses with his shoulders to block those glancing outside strikes yeah. those are the ones that Izzy knocked people out with mm-hmm. you know he leans to the side and he bends that hand over their you know their hand and lands the shots but that defense doesn't allow that mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sean's upright stance also allowed him to pretty much check every leg kick that Izzy attempted. Yeah, I think that was another part of the fight that can easily go unnoticed, but I think it played a massive role. It seemed like, and I have no idea what the numbers would be, but it seemed to me like Strickland checked a majority mm-hmm. of the kicks. And I don't know if any of that hurt Izzy, um, but it did not seem like there were many kicks that really got through that were able to kind of stun Strickland at all. Yeah. So most people that fight Izzy have a tough time managing the, the kicks and they kind of get lulled into that. Mm-hmm. Um, snake charm as as Strickland's coach put it and it, Strickland just wasn't having it yeah and you know uh, coming into round one you know Strickland was biting hard on everything like mm-hmm. I I had this feeling where it's just like oh man you know he and he was reacting hard to low stuff high stuff yeah. but I think what you know is kind of my takeaway from it is his Sean's ability to keep his arms forward and it made his jab almost indistinguishable from his parries like mm-hmm. because he doesn't throw it from his shoulder it's forward and it's boom it's right mm-hmm. there and he parries that same way so you don't know if he's parrying down or throwing the hand up um, and pushing Izzy towards the cage constantly made it impossible for Izzy to establish any form of distance and Izzy's best at his jab his leg kick and distance and he wasn't able to do any of those things so in this fight here's the interesting question because where where strickland signed sh- shined was his jab checking to the leg kicks and distance management mm-hmm. so like we're in terms is it just maybe it's just you know these guys fight 10 times who knows how it looks 10 different ways but in this on this night strickland was he just the better i mean he, you have to say yes right he was yeah. just the better striker I mean, yeah you know it's um you it's difficult because you know matchups make fights and, you know, I was saying last night, like, with Pajeda, like, he trusts his chin so much that he dives in with that left hook when he feels like it's there. Mm-hmm. And Izzy doesn't like being hit. 
you know, he doesn't get hit very often. Obviously got hit a lot more this last fight probably than he has since the Gasoline fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it's a thing where the the matchup of not being able to land your key things and not having a good plan B, because I think that there's not a world where Izzy probably thought he couldn't get the leg kicks or the jab off. Like one of them was going to be there because you're thinking about the other type of mm-hmm. thing, right? And, you know, I remember Sean's corner after round three telling him about the stop watching, stop the snake charming thing. Uh, They didn't want to lose a boring decision. And after that, Strickland kind of turned up the pressure in round four and that carried over to five. I remember feeling like after the fourth, um, either being 2-2 or 3-1 Strickland um, because I didn't know what the third round was. Because the second round, I felt like Izzy kind of got landed more. Um, Strickland was kind of watching a little bit. Mm-hmm. Third round was close. Um, and then I think that's when his corner was like, hey, man, you got to really, you know, don't do this. We didn't come here for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then by the end of round five, I felt like Izzy was almost relinquishing the the victory to Sean. Like he he realized he couldn't land that Hail Mary strike because the, the defense was just there. Mm-hmm. And toward the end, he was kind of just okay with just backing up because he's like, I can't. I have nothing for this guy today. Which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's not something we've ever seen from him. Um, and, you know, I remember even on the intro, like when they were walking up, it seemed like Strickland was a little bit nervous. Izzy felt comfortable. But, yeah. you know, round one, he does get the knockdown. Um, and then he just continues to put on his game plan on Izzy, and Izzy just never got any yeah. of that confidence back. And I was expecting in the post-fight pressers, to, like to, I was telling you at the beginning, like to hear something about like an injury or something kind of weird on Izzy's side, but no. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't anything like that. Strickland was just a better man. Yeah, and you know, we were just talking before where Strickland's coach was like, you know, we need a lot of things to go right for Strickland and a couple things to go wrong for Izzy to win this. And, I mean, this is the worst Izzy's ever looked. This is Izzy's worst day, and and this is the best we've ever seen Sean Strickland, I feel like, especially on a striking side. You know, he said post-fight that they worked wrestling a lot, and he did none of that. They even told him in the fight to wrestle. They they said, remember, the 92nd or third round, they're like, at the 92nd mark, we're going to give you a call. We want to see you start wrestling didn't see it. well and they kept yelling optic too it's like you know because the how the cannoneer fight went where it's like you know he was landing more but it just didn't have the same visual as cannoneer throwing big strikes mm-hmm. um so now we have a new middleweight champion we do and um it, it's hard to say exactly what um what this means for sean going forward um because you know there is a little bit of like i still i still feel like izzy's the better overall fighter but i think that it was definitely sean's night um, but Sean in his post fight seemed very humble, um, very, ex- uh, just excited, lost for words, which we've never seen from him. Yeah. I even said that, um, yeah. which was big, but he also talked about how a big part was how the crowd embraced him. Mm-hmm. Um, the Aussie crowd was definitely loving him the whole night. They were cheering loud for him, which is something that, you know, we didn't see coming into this, Mm-mm. but how do you feel about the dynamic of somebody like Sean Strickland, who's a self-admitted kind of like loner, rebel like people don't like me controversial my family doesn't like me but then now you have this whole group of people that just like put him on his shoulders and i mean even he said they kind of willed him into that fifth round to just really go for it i i don't know what to make of that especially with the fact that he was going up against izzy mm-hmm. and, th- and this is kind of one of i know izzy's not from there but it's kind of one of his home you know places right. to be typically so it really threw me off i mean first i talked about it with like the press conference to see sean get that love and and then even in the fight to see sean get that love and i don't i don't know how much of that to put on stock for for sean versus something like do you think maybe there was something going on with with the, the fans and izzy I mean, because, again, it just doesn't make 
sense to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I we all we all saw it, but I, I don't know why. I don't know what to attribute that to. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, um, you know, we haven't seen him back in there since the Whitaker fight, I believe. Right? He hasn't been back to Australia in a fight. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. So you know, you took out Whitaker. You know, there was that little, you know, kind of New Zealand, Australian thing there. So I, I don't know if there's some type of, like, they kind of turned from him from that. But, you know, for Sean Strickland, I guess what I'm asking with it is, like, you know, and I, and I feel like it's something that you can kind of lend a little bit more towards is people who just have not got support and love and acknowledgement and now suddenly getting it from everybody you're seeing on the street, everybody mm-hmm. in a room, like the what that can do to like completely change your confidence and and just overall push. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, especially where you kind of feel like you're the guy who's coming into quote unquote enemy territory, but then for that quote unquote enemy to embrace you, it's like, wow, I didn't expect this at all. And then you know, I'm sure as a fighter to walk into a stadium where you're not getting crowded with booze, but rather you're getting crowded with cheers. I mean, that's only has to help you, right? When you didn't expect it, yeah. you know, comes in with his girlfriend. Another mm. thing I didn't have on my bingo card. Yeah, neither. Into the stadium too, and yeah. you know, once again, he's putting it all out there. He had nothing to lose in this. Um, got the opportunity and uh, turns it over. So now we need to talk about what's next for Sean Strickland because there's a lot of options here. Um, you know, this would have been a little bit of a different conversation if Izzy wins, but the options are still pretty much the same except for the addition of a rematch with Izzy. Yeah. Uh, Dana seemed to say he likes the idea of it. Um. You also have Drikas Duplessis, um, who's, I don't know if he's fully recovered from his injury, but I'm sure it could be recovered by a certain point. Um, and then we talked about on the kickback, we have Hamza Chamayev and Paulo Costa fighting at the next pay-per-view, yeah. 294. So out of all of those, what do you prefer to see next for Strickland? So I'm going to be honest. I don't know if this is a, a controversial take or what, but I kind of don't want to see the rematch just yet. I, mm-hmm. I would really kind of like to see, if, if I had my way, I want to see Strickland and DDP, and I, I want to see Adesanya fight the winner of Costa Chamayev. That's mm-hmm. that's what I would like to see. Um, I, I just think Izzy just lost the belt and then reclaimed it in the rematch with Alex. And then he lost the belt again. Mm-hmm. So I I understand he's been this champion for so long. He's defended it however many times you could give him the rematch. But I, I don't know. Part of me just wants to see, let's let's see Strickland get defended against somebody else. Let's see Izzy kind of recoup against somebody else in a non-title fight. Mm-hmm. And then let's see, you know, where, where he's at as far as, def- you know, when does he beat Costa or Chemaev and how does that look? You know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to see that. Now, in a, in a situation where, you know, Hamza or Paulo Costa, like, get a huge finish and, you know, put puts himself in this really weird, like, not weird position, really high position. Do you see a, a world where they kind of jump over DDP because he passed on this? I think... Hamza could definitely jump DDP because I think he's I think he's definitely just got the star power there. They really want him to have a belt around him. I think more than anybody. I think if Costa wins, I think that's where I'd be more inclined, especially to see Costa and Adesanya rematch, just kind of as like a a number one contender mm-hmm. spot potentially. Okay, yeah, because I mean, but I mean, the difference for Paulo Costa here is you don't have the whole "I lost to Izzy" thing to stop you from leaping. If you, I mean, because if he goes out and just knocks out Hamza in the first round. That's, I mean, arguably more impressive than most of what we've seen from anybody. I mean, the Whitaker, DDP beating Whitaker obviously is huge. And he's the, and he'd be the number one guy. Right. Um, but Hamza is the hype train too, though. So there, there's a little bit of something to that. And then the lead up between Paula Costa and Sean Strickland, once again, I mean, I feel like all lead ups are probably going to be funny, but them two on Twitter, especially, um, would be a lot. So, 
Um, well, now we can talk about what could be next for Asanya, especially if he doesn't do the rematch. Um, you know, he's he's one of, if not the most active fighters over the last five years, definitely the most active champion in recent history. Um, the longest layoff he's had between fights is eight months, but on average, it's been more of four to five months mm-hmm. he's fought. Um, so let me ask you, do you think he should even take the rematch if it's offered, or do you think he should retool and uh, get better in some areas? Uh, no, I, I don't think he should take it immediately. Like I said, I, th- I just think he's going to probably be better served just taking a little bit of time, just kind of reassess some things, and I'm going to bring it up nate kind of mentioned uh in our group chat a little bit earlier today you know he thinks izzy's probably gonna uh need to reassess a little bit of things regarding his camp and and just kind of it's tough sometimes to be the the best guy in the room and try to progress in that way right and Mm -hmm. it just kind of seems like more and more people are starting to kind of there's a lot of film on izzy izzy's Izzy's pretty well known at this point yeah so i think it's becoming pretty evident that Izzy's going to have to make some changes especially you know given what you said where Izzy wasn't able to he wasn't able to find his range he wasn't able to land that punch and he didn't really have a backup plan mm-hmm. um you know it's it's probably going to take some digging into that tool bag where people have your number a little bit as far as the striking you're going to have to you're a mixed martial artist man you might yeah. have to initiate some grappling or some wild exchanges and things to to pull it off the further along you go in this game so i don't want to see the rematch necessarily i think he's better served to take some time reassess his camp um, and see what he really wants to do. Does he want to stick it out at 85? Does he just want to pack on some muscle? We'll go to 205. What does he want to do? Right. And, you know, I, you know, as an Izzy fan, um, I definitely want to see – I don't want to see the rematch. Um, wow. Because I, I think that whereas in the Pajeda fight, he was close. You know, you had that first round where he hurt him and – you know, the bell goes off and he could have won that. Mm-hmm. And even some of the adjustments that could have been made in the pocket, kind of what he basically did in the second fight. I felt like, oh yeah, that, that adjustment isn't big. It was just a timing thing of, you know, a little bit more time or a little bit more this. Whereas this, I don't know what the, I mean, the answer is like, you know, get a takedown or get a clinch up against the cage, like do something to, you know, break, Sean out of what he was doing to you and, mm-hmm. and he didn't have nothing for that and sometimes you do see some of these guys like a Whitaker and him now where sometimes you run into this wall of something that's messing with your game plan and you don't necessarily train for all you know aspects mm-hmm. I, I did feel like Izzy you know the work he did with Craig Jones and stuff I was interested to see what would happen if it did get there if he'd made some improvements or had some attacks but without the wrestling I mean, none of that really matters because Sean didn't go for anything. Right. I think he att- he like did two kind of fakeish kind of shots, and that mm-hmm. was about it. And I think for Izzy too, man, you know, being so active, which I know, you know, is part of like riding momentum. But at this point, there's no momentum left. You know, you've lost two of your last, you know, three fights or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's been through losses before, and he always bounces back well. Um, so I think that this is, is a chance for him to heal up mentally, emotionally. Cause I mean, like, you know, he didn't do the post fight. I know mm-hmm. that's something that you were a little disappointed in, but yeah. maybe that just goes to show a little bit more of like how disappointed or how, um, how tough this was for him to, you know, this, this had to be like a nightmare for him. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how you have nightmares where like you try to punch somebody and it's too slow and you can't hit them and stuff yeah. like that. That's what this was. Izzy didn't look fast. Izzy didn't look sharp. He wasn't able to land anything. So it had to be like a nightmare for him. Um, I actually like the idea of doing Izzy and DDP 
um, because because the fact that the rematch could happen and you couldn't like you wouldn't be too upset about it. Like it it does make some semblance of a sense. But I think doing DDP because of the buildup, it sells itself. Um, and I think that the Haz, you know, Hazma or Hazma, yeah, Hamza, Hamza and Costa mm-hmm. um, with a big performance could take that fight with Sean Strickland. So I'm a little bit opposite of you as far as like where the placements at, but I do think those are the options. It's yeah, I wouldn't be mad at that version either. I just, but I definitely don't think that Izzy rematching is what I want to see. Right, and and I don't think that you know as much as you know if you're Dana. He's one of your, I mean, the guy has like almost 10 million followers on Instagram, has a YouTube channel. Like he's one of the well-known, more than more well-known faces. And, you know, you got a lot of work with Sean Strickland as far as continuing to push him out to people and make him palatable to some people because it's not going to be for everybody. Sure. Um, but I do think that they don't want to miss the opportunity of what him and Jeep Placey is built up. Yeah. So I could see a world where they decide to do that instead. Um, and like you said, Nate had brought up about, you know, changing camps. Um, somebody like Volkanovsky does that as well. He splits camps. He goes to city kickboxing, but he also has his own thing. Um, and I'm not sure what it is that Izzy will need to do and add as far as, you know, you don't at this stage in your career, I don't know that he turns into a wrestler. No, but maybe an adjustment to like just doing like traditional boxing, like kind of like what Aldo did where he went from doing a Muay Thai thing and then he went to the. Uh, I think it was the Brazilian Navy or whatever boxing team and really pushed that. And that kind of changed a little uh, layer in his game. So maybe that's something for Izzy to do is, is find somewhere to, to add that wrinkle to his game. So he's not so dependent on just the kicks or, um, or just the, the way he sets up his jab. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I also want to talk about the, the evolution of the division, man, you know, in the past couple months now, we've seen Robert Whitaker who looked like he would only lose to Israel Adesanya just kind of get ran through by DDP. And then mm-hmm. now we see Izzy who look like, you know, unless Pajeda comes back down, he might not lose unless he runs into like Bo Nickel or something. But then Sean Strickland presents and, and he takes advantage of yeah. it. So I think it just goes to show like where this division is going because of having to prepare for such good guys at the top. Now you have a Strickland, you have a DDP and you have these other guys coming up. That's going to be like, I don't know, you know, Izzy had five title defenses. I don't know if we see that anymore. Make any more beyond that? Yeah. Like, I don't see anybody beating that anytime soon. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it definitely depends. Um, I, yeah, but like you're saying, the, the division itself is kind of opening and opening. It's getting a lot more expansive as far as who we're seeing come up because it kind of seemed like you were really going to see Izzy run away and just kind of build on those on those defenses there. But I don't know. Who's to say, man? Who's to say the Strickland doesn't start racking them up and or, you know, you see a Hamzat or Bo or these guys coming up and – I don't know. And, and I mean, it's not impossible to say Izzy can't get the belt back again. Yeah. I mean, he's won. He, I mean, he could get the rematch or, you know, one went away from getting back to it. And it's not like impossible to think that he couldn't beat anybody. I mean, we're talking about one of the better middleweights ever. Yeah. Um, so it just, it just kind of puts that, puts that thing. Like, you know, we talk about sometimes when we get new champions, like, you know, what's the, do you think that Sean Strickland defends the belt over or under two times? Me? Yeah. Well, I don't even, that's so hard to answer because, like, I was so confident in him losing to Izzy. You know what? I'll say over. Yeah? I'll say over, too. So you think he would get through the winner, possibly the winner of Costa and Hamzat, and then, or DDP? 
I think if it's Costa, yes. I think that like a Hamza and a Bo present a very unique problem with the wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, but a DDP, I think he can be, I do think he can beat a Costa. Yeah, I think he's got the style to beat those guys. Well, and what's interesting too, as I seen on Twitter, like Marvin Vittoria was like, obviously he doesn't like Izzy, but he trained with Strickland. But he also said, you know, I want the belt again. You know, I want to, you know, face these guys. But we know Strickland's trained with every other middleweight in the yeah. world, but is he, mm. and, uh, including Alex. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how some of those relationships happen because there's a lot of top guys that have trained with him now, um, but it doesn't seem like Strickland's too afraid to uh, to to ripe or uh, fight any of those yeah, guys. Yeah, I think he'll fight his best friend. Yeah, yeah I don't think he so. All right, well, we're going to move into our co-main event, um, and in our co-main event... We have Alexander Volkov defeating Tai Tuavasa by second round sub via Ezekiel Choke. Mm-hmm. Who had that on their bingo card? Not any of us. Yeah. But sub. I mean, he talked for a while in that pre-fight. You know, he wanted to display some improvement in his submissions and his in his grappling. And you could kind of tell in the fight, like he was really hunting for that sub after he was able to knock down Ty and kind of establish that mountain position. But even on the feet, man, he was just pick and tie apart yeah uh you know volkov did have punishing um pressure in the first round um he was seeing bam bam load up those right hands from a mile away and countering him consistently every time he missed ty did land some really thudding leg kicks that could have been a problem if um if volkov wasn't able to get to where he was he was looking to use that double jab to find a path to the jaw of volkov but alex wasn't having none of that um, he was landing at will. He looked like he might finish towards the end of the first round, going to the body of Tuavasa early and often, um, and some more of that in round two, keeping his guard up anytime Ty got close. And once on the ground, he kind of just had his way. Like you said, it, it, he got grapevines in. He, he spread it him out, and he, he didn't look like he wanted to posture up and rain down ground and pound. Which he could have done. Right. You know? It looked like more of he was like, open up so I can get something. He didn't open up. He didn't give up his back. Um, go for the rear naked to give up the rear naked but he slowly and methodically puts on an ezekiel choke yeah shout out to alexio linick he's got didn't he have an 80 inch reach what's his reach? yeah, yeah i think it's, it's like 80. 80 so ezekiel's are gonna be right up his alley yeah and i mean um you know and in his post fight volkov mentioned wanting to make another last run at the title and with this win he should at least take ties number six ranking at the very least mm-hmm. um the top five is currently booked are guys wanting to get a title shot next with blade slated to fight jelton almeida in november stipe fighting john jones for the title at 295 and aspinall surreal and pavlovich all three gunning for the next title shot whether that comes in the winner of stipe and jones or two of the three fighting for a vacant so if you're volkov do you wait uh, and fight whoever doesn't get into that next title shot um, between Aspinall, Cyril, and Pavlovich, or do you try to stay active and take on a Blades Almeida winner or a rematch with Derek Lewis or somebody like that? I think you definitely wait. If you want to make the run, you're on a three-fight win streak, you're looking really good, you're showing new wrinkles to your game or at least some improvements in those areas, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to potentially wait out for like a winner of gone Aspinall maybe, um, or I guess down the road an Almeida um, or Blades, one of those guys. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think he needs to wait. I don't think it makes much sense for him to take on like a Lewis or something in the meantime. Right. I think you enjoy your your streak. You kind of rest up a little bit, and then you come back for whoever the, one of those four guys are, and, and make your make your case for the title fight. Right, because things get very interesting depending on two ninety five. Right, because mm-hmm. we could see a world where the winner between Jones and Stipe retires, both of them retire, 
Or we could see a thing where, you know, Jones wins and he wants to stick around for a couple more or Stipe wants to stick around for a couple more if he wins. Um, so at that point, those three guys that are waiting, you, you would like to think Pavlovich, if somebody stays, Pavlovich gets it. You probably do Aspinall and gone for number one contender. And then that leaves, you know, Volkov kind of waiting to see what shakes out between maybe an Almeida and Blade. So he does have some options yeah. there. But then also in the world where both of those guys retire and there's a vacant, two of those three are fighting, one of them's left. I would like to think he'd probably be gone just because I feel like Aspinall and Pavlovich um, – just a little bit higher for me. Gone who's left, you mean? Yeah. If, if, the, if yeah. Jones and Stipe retire? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so that would be a, a Gone and Volkov fight, which could be very fun. Um, two long-rangey uh, kickboxers. If, yeah, they fought once before, um, and it was a pretty pretty close fight. Right. So it'd be a fun little rematch, especially, yeah, with the new grappling wrinkles for both of them. Right. So um, very exciting stuff for, for Volkov, man. You know, um, he's somebody that I feel like kind of got forgot in this whole jumble of things, but now he's kind of put himself in a spot um, to really do do some big things. Uh, moving on, uh, we're going to get into what was awarded as the fight of the night as Manel Cop defeating Felipe Dos Santos via unanimous decision, 29-28 on two judges' scorecards and 30-27 on the other. Um, as much as this seemed like one of the biggest locks on the card, this one was a banger. And could be a fight of the year honorable mention as these two really went at it. Cop is the number 10 flyweight in the UFC and had been talking all week about being on a bad streak of luck um, and wanting highly touted opponents, but they dropping out and him not getting to fight. But he got all the all the fight he could ask for from Dos Santos here. Yeah. Um, from the opening bell, Dos Santos showed no fear. He said that uh, Cop had said earlier in the week that he would be able to do anything and everything he wanted to do in this fight. And the lack of respect and focus quickly turned around as Felipe was um, in Cop's face and landing straight shots, pressuring him backwards early. Cop did drop Dos Santos at the end of the first round, but the round was really close. Round two, Dos Santos started getting more respect from Cop, showing off that shoot box chin and grit and continuing to use his reach and length, catching Cop on the exit of all their exchanges. But Nell showed a clear, uh, showed a clear speed advantage, though, and was constantly walking Dos Santos into some big shots. In round three, Cop opened it up um became an aggressor really pushed to put a stamp on the fight dos santos stayed in it the whole time though and never let cop completely run away with the momentum at any point in this fight so uh, what were your thoughts on both of these guys in the fight itself yeah so i think it's really it sucks for cop man he said he's in such a rough spot there because yeah mm -hmm. he beat this kid he was coming off short notice and like you know he's a little bit of an unknown and and this kid showed out like he was there to win he wasn't there just to you know just to get a fight under his belt and make his name you know known a little bit he no he was there to win that fight mm -hmm. and it showed and cop was the better fighter he was faster like you said he was able to tune up dos santos when he when he had those moments um and it, i think it kind of showed like the experience there for cop but like it's like you said it's 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 tough to take um i just don't want to take that shine away from cop but at the same time you can't watch that fight and not just be in awe of what dos santos did mm -hmm. right coming in on the number 10 rank guy and and just showed he belongs i mean he showed he belongs in the top 10 with that fight no right i mean he he showed he belongs in there like and even for him he's coming into that fight off short notice so what what changes if he gets a full camp you know i, I right. don't know but uh yeah so i think the next step for cop obviously is kaikara so mm -hmm. I, I think that's even more established now with some of the bad blood between those two and the post fight from manel um but yeah i mean the fight itself obviously fight of the night winner um it was a fantastic performance from both guys and uh yeah just kind of a rough spot there to be in for cop and yeah just tons of bad luck like 
what I think one of you mentioned, Dana said, if if he didn't have bad luck, he'd just have no luck at right. all. So you know, and, and like you said, after the fight, cop got on the mic and was trash talking Kai Kara and the crowd. Um, the interaction felt very tense, and I was just about to tweet uh, how great the promo was. Wise instead of having them being face to face, having you know one a camera on one in the crowd, you kind of get rid of some of that awkwardness. And then cop drops the second gay slur of the night, uh, mm. which we'll talk about more later. But none of the which were by Strickland, so yeah, was, who knew? Right. <laughs> um, we'll touch on more of that later. But what's next for cop? Obviously, you said I think Kai Car. I think they've built this up perfectly, yeah. um, and it just makes sense in the ranking wise. You know, Kai Car I believe is at five. Um, cop is at ten, trying to move up. Yep. Um, and you know, Kai Kara, this could be a big chance for him too. If somebody, you know, to get somebody like a cop who's on his way up and on a really good streak himself. Yeah. Um, and for Dos Santos, you know, kind of what you said, I hate to sound like the broken record, but with these UFC debut fighters, but you almost wonder what it looks like with a full camp. Mm -hmm. Um, the guy was supposed to be on the contender series. Imagine being on the contender series and having to fight that guy who just (laughs) had that fight with the number 10 flyweight in the world. But they're out there, man. Like there's, we gotta know. And that's one of the ways to figure it out. Right. You know, when he comes from, we know we talked about the camp, he comes from training with Charles Oliveira. So, you know, he's getting those good reps in. And every time we see a guy come out of that camp and debut or have a fight on an undercard or something they show out he looked like a charles Oliveira in that fight 100 percent. i mean he was getting dropped but getting right back up mm-hmm. he was landing some hard stuff um he, he definitely looked like he belonged you know mm-hmm. you know sometimes you see these fights and it's just like you know diego lopez for example it's just like hey man volov kind of got away with one a little bit mm-hmm. because this guy was really game and yeah. i think it felt the same way with this one um i'd imagine that he should probably be getting He'd probably fight somebody just outside the rankings yeah. in his next fight, but I wouldn't be mad if you gave him the number 15 no. because you've seen what he just did with the number 10, you know? Right. Um, but, yeah, I think that he has a lot of options, and I think that, you know, um, if you're a cop, you know, you take this as a chance to kind of – you showed a little bit more of what you did. It did seem like in the – I think it was the second round – he was doing a little bit of more of what he did when he first came in where he was being real pensive, kind of holding back a little bit, and it could have cost him the fight. Luckily, he opened up in the third. I did think 30-27 was a little much because I don't think that he just took every round. I yeah. felt like the second round was really close. Yeah, I think – well, I think a lot of the first round caught him by surprise, right? right. I think, like, he didn't expect um, to to be hit like he had been. He didn't expect the power, perhaps, and mm-hmm. I just think that second round was a lot of, like, okay, this is a different fight than what I was intending. Now I've got to refocus a little bit, and then there's that hesitancy but then maybe two mid fighters thinking well i can't be too hesitant because that's what's cost me in the past i gotta change right. my change my tune here so. well and I, I don't think he thought he was going to be able to get reached on his when he was taking a step back after they disengaged and every time that straight punch was right there mm-hmm. um yeah I, I just think that that was a, a little bit of a learning experience for him too like hey you know there's not easy fights ever i think everybody man between him and like you mentioned diego lopez like i think that the more this happens where ranked guys have to take on unranked guys like i think the ranked guys are probably going to be a little more like man we've seen some guys come up and just put it on ranked fighters before so we can't just look at it like oh here's this unranked guy like just Mm -hmm. kind of a, a gimme fight like no like you said like every fight is a potential dangerous fight for you. Right, and I think that's why you see a lot of these guys who get, you know, eventually cut from the UFC. They kind of, um, I mean, they do one of two things. They either flourish and it's like, oh, no, that's the level of UFC talent compared to outside, or it's just like maybe you didn't need to be in the UFC at all because you're getting kind of washed by some of these regional circuit guys, but we see some of those guys get in and do really well. So um, next on the main card, we do have Justin Taffa. Bow, bow. Uh, as he put out Austin Lane in round one with a nasty 
knockout, baby. Um, if there's one thing we've learned in the past few weeks is that you don't get within arm's reach of anybody with the last name Taffa. Uh, Junior and Justin both have just both put on really huge uh, knockouts. For Justin, this that's three first-round knockouts in a row. And as we know, with heavyweights especially, if you get three wins in a row, let alone three knockouts, you're going to get a ranked fighter next. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's I think that would, I would love to see him against maybe a Marcos Rogario de Lima, the guy who just lost to um, Derek Lewis. Mm-hmm. He's number fifteen right there. I think that would be a good matchup. The Come, guy that Lewis beats fifteen. Yeah. Okay. So I think that'd be a good matchup for him for uh, Justin to get you know a little bit of taste of the rankings. Um, and you know Delima's coming off of a loss. Tafa does have three wins in a row. They're just not as big names, but man, he's fun. Yeah. It, no, that that was an extremely fun fight to watch, and it, the the initial shot shot that dropped him was bad, but man, those follow up shots Ooh. were like twenty times worse almost. Like it was just kind of rough to watch. By the like the second or third to the mm-hmm. last that he had landed, were just that's a lot of inertia coming down on your face right, right there. I mean, well, and you know he tried to do the Mark Hunt walk off. That's his mentor. Yeah. He wanted that. Had to go back and do those punishing shots. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're Austin Lane, you're probably looking back at that like, man, I kind of wish you would have walked off. But yeah. <laughs> sometimes you're a little bit too tough for your own good and you make it to where somebody has to really put you out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, it, 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 I love, you know, what Mark Hunt brought to the UFC was always fun because he wasn't the super in-shape guy. He's not this tall heavyweight. He's just short, stubby, just letting off heaters. Yeah. Um, and if you couldn't, if he could hit you, it was going to be a short night for you. And I mm-hmm. think that I love seeing what – you know, the Toffer brothers, even like with Ty Tuovas and some of these other guys are keeping in the UFC that thing because it just it just gives us a little bit of um what's the word I'm looking for? Just a little bit of excitement. Ver- yeah, or, excitement, yeah. variety. Just like it's not just the only way you can win as a heavyweight is if you're this. No. Mm-hmm. There's you know, there's different matchups out here that make things fun and you know, for both of the Toffas, but Justin, you know, a little bit more uh, consistently as far as in the UFC if you don't come ready, he's going to put you out. Yeah. I think anytime somebody with that kind of power, and like you said, it, whether it's Tafa or Ty or a Lewis, like, yeah, I mean, okay, Lewis a little bit different. He just landed that flying knee recently. But, you know, a lot, Ty and, and Tafa, like, you you know what they're going to do. They're going to walk forward, leg kick you, and they're going to try to drop that bomb. And that's not the most versatile, but it is – Every time they're, you know, in the octagon, they're getting ready to fight. It's you're excited to see what's going to happen because the chances of him or of them knocking somebody out are always present. Mm-hmm. Well, and even like with Ty and the co-main, you know, there was exchanges there where they were both in the pocket and Ty just missed probably flatlining Volkov in that mm-hmm. fight. And I think that's what these guys bring. And I think that, you know, maybe that is the limit of how far that style can go where you get somebody who's not going to engage in a brawl and will be a little bit more calculated. But even if you're trying to be calculated, you know, like you say with the Derek Lewis with Volkov, like Volkov doesn't take a lot of chances and put themselves in danger, but it only takes one with these guys. Lewis won that fight with 10 seconds left. Right. Yeah. Um, And then the last fight on the main card, another banger, Tyson Pedro. As he's defeating the pleasure man Anton Tarkali with the first round KO. Just a beautiful performance by Pedro here. Um, has to be the absolute best I've ever seen him. Um, mm-hmm. Was loose, flowing around. Once he hurt Anton, it was just a matter of when he was going to get the finish. Um, and then once again, the finishing sequence on the ground just woof. Yeah, I mean, not a ton to get into here because it was relatively fast. But I mean, like one of the things Eugene, I listened to the post fight with him, and th- that's the coach for for Tyson Pedro. Um, he mentioned that one of the things they've been working on with him is just those straight punches down the middle, the one twos, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what he utilized in this fight and was able to capitalize with it. So it's cool to see guys, 
you know, working on things in the gym and then bringing them into the into the cage as far as advancements in their own game and it's and it's showing out for them. Yeah, and I think it's always fun to also see like you know, Tyson Pedro has his dad as his coach as yeah. one of his coaches, and you know, hearing their story about how they bounced around at different gyms and finally found a home at City Kickboxing, and you know, this is the best he's looked. Um, and it's exciting because, you know, he does have flash that potential of like, hey, this guy could be a problem um, in these divisions. Yeah. And, Early wins over like Khalil Roundtree. Right. And, uh, who else did he beat? Um I can't remember who the other one was exactly. Khalil Roundtree and somebody else that he beat early on that was a big name. Right. But, you know, it, you know, this is just something that he can kind of springboard off of. Um, kind of, you know, he wasn't sure how the starting of the night with him on there was going to be just because he has been a little bit inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, I mean, knockout, knockout, fight of the night, sub, and then yeah. a dominant performance by Sean Strickland on the main card. Yeah. He set the tone for the night for sure. Yeah. Um, for the prelims, um, I'm just going to cover a couple things. Carlos Olberg getting his first submission victory at the buzzard against Dawoon Jung. Um, for most of that fight, it was a battle of Olberg's jab and Jung's outside leg kick. In round one, Olberg almost got the finish with a flurry. Uh, towards the end of round three, his gas tank seemed to be getting a little low. Black Jag got to the back, got the takedown, collected the far side wrist, took Jung's back, landed some ground and pound, which opened up the rear naked choke. Uh, he sunk it in, and at first it seemed like Jung was able to hold on until the bell. But I had noticed that it looked like his left hand by the cage had tapped, and sure enough, they looked at the replay and awarded Carlos his first submission victory. So I actually didn't see this fight. So you were telling me about it once we got to over to Damien's. But yeah, it sounded like because like I watched the first two rounds, and then I was on my way to the to where we were going, and um, the first two rounds seemed pretty dominant for Olberg, but at the same time, like the way we were kind of anticipating things, I was like, I want to see this guy finish. So mm-hmm. to hear that he actually got it at the end and it was a sub is pretty cool. Yeah, and you know, you know. Uh, when you look at him, when he fought Kennedy, um, the gas tank went out. You know, you got to the later rounds, it just wasn't there. He got a little sloppy. Um, and since then, it's just been all first-round finishes. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was interesting to see what happens because he almost got it out in the first round. That mm-hmm. flurry that he landed, it was really close to being uh, in for uh, Jung there. But I think one thing that he did, and it's something that we haven't seen from the city kickboxing guys, but and I, know if, I definitely think you should go back and look at it because – he got to the hips, um, was looking for a trip. The guy gave up his back. He got the takedown, and the sequence was just, like, perfect, like textbook. Like I said, collecting the wrist on the way down, getting to the back, getting in the choke. So I think he's, you know, seeing that part of his game is, like, really nice for him because, mm-hmm. you know, they're like we've seen in the main event, there's going to be guys that are not going to allow you to strike yeah. um, the way you want to, and you're going to have to have something. And when his gas tank was – because he defended a takedown – Got back up, was against the cage, and just mouth was wide open, was looking real tired, timed a good takedown getting to the hips. So seeing that adjustment from him gives me a lot of hope as he keeps moving up that, you know, some of these matchups he's going to be able to pull out um, with just some of the things that he's added to his game. Also, Chepe Mariscal, or Mariscal, I got it right. (laughs) Chepe Mariscal defeated Jack Jenkins in the second round after Chepe went for a hip toss and Jenkins posted his arm out to brace his fall and broke it. Just so nasty, mm-hmm. dude. Crazy doesn't happen more. Right. Uh, well, I, I tweeted this. I was like, you know, as somebody who does jujitsu, there's so many times where you don't realize that you almost did something really bad mm-hmm. and you just keep rolling, you know? But then after you see something like this for like the next two weeks, you're starting on your butt, you're not <laughs> engaging certain things. You're just like, oh, dude, because it could happen at any time. I mean, yeah. even with Nate, you know, his ankle break was like a thing that, you know, he's probably been in those positions for a uh, hundred times and yep. nothing ever happens. It just takes one. 
Um, I do feel bad for Jenkins, though, because I thought he was looking good when he had the space. I mean, he only landed like two or three leg kicks, but you could see the whole front of Chepe's uh, shin was swollen up. Yeah, I'm starting to wear it. Landed a one body kick, and it was immediately red. Like, he was he was looking good, but then Chepe was doing a really good job of keeping him against the cage, taking away that space, and then he executed the toss, and, you know, there is – it. You know the finish comes from the break, but that's part of it. It's kind of like the Yair um, Brian Ortega Ortega, where it's like you know you could say it was a freak thing, but something was applied that caused the you know the break to it. Yep. Um, and the last thing, and I feel like it's going to be a big talking point from two ninety three for better or for worse. But Charles Chuck Buffalo Radke defeated Blood Diamond by decision. Um, the fight was just kind of. Yeah, I mean, Blood Diamond just isn't good. Mm-hmm. Um, three and two. I mean, but then again, all his, almost all his fights have been in the UFC, and sometimes you're just not ready for that. It reminded me a lot of that uh, Darren Wynn for DC's buddy. That oh, yeah, got, yeah, the bigger he, guy. Yeah, he got a lot of chances, just never really looked all that good, and it's just like, a you know, you, you got your chances, but you should probably step out and, you know, get better elsewhere because yeah. these, you're only facing tough guys in the UFC like we've kind of been talking about. Uh, Blood Diamond, like, kicked the cup like two or three times got a point taken away um radke ended up getting the decision victory and immediately after dc put the mic by his mouth radke went on to cuss out the booing crowd and call them the gay slur he started that off uh later in the night radke would issue an apology on x but the damage had already been done and between his use of the word and then later manel cop's use of it i just wanted to get your thoughts on how dana and the ufc dealt with it by essentially saying no one's perfect. Dana's saying, you know, I'm not without sin in this. Uh, I, you know, I've had my own mistakes. Um, I don't make anybody apologize for anything. Radke decided to do it on his own. Um, he just got excited and made a mistake. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm okay with that. I mean, what I, I don't. It would be really hard for them to start implementing specific consequences for something like that because then where's we talked about it like where's that line right with some of the stuff Strickland says or some of these other guys mm-hmm. Colby and it would just be too hard to try to get it objectively ironed out without making it seem like you're favoring one guy or another. So when mm-hmm. you kind of let the process be what it is, you, he kind of talked about it, right? Like, but we came, he came out and apologized on his own. No one right. had to force that out of him. I mean, his manager or coach or somebody probably mm-hmm. had, had something to say about it, but I think that's enough. I don't think the UFC, I think if kind of like the same thing with the fight, if the UFC can not have to interject themselves into stuff like that. I think I don't think they should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know it is interesting. Dana did say he was embarrassed when he got back out there, but um, my only thing is, you know, we got to f- where would the line be at some point? Because you know we were talking before this, like a gay slur can turn into a racial slur. We've had issues with people saying stuff about you know religion with like Ham or with a uh, Habib and. Um, we've seen people attack, you know, go at people's like family members and kids and stuff like, and you know, a lot of times with fighting, it is like a, you know, it is what it is. But for a company like the UFC that's owned by Disney, who is a big corporation that, you know, there's a lot of eyes on live TV because the Radke one was on the prelims. That wasn't, that was on ESPN plus. That wasn't the pay-per-view where somebody had to pay for it to hear it. Um, it just makes you, it just, it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, you know, Dan, I think what Dana did say is like some people are going to accept his apologies, others won't. Um, it'll just be interesting to see moving forward because he'll probably get questioned about this the next couple fights he's up. Cop didn't seem to get nearly as much pushback, but he'd been kind of on one <laughs> since yeah. the press conference. So yeah. I don't think that 
shocked nearly as much. Um, and I don't even know if maybe he heard that and was like, hey, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna throw one out there too now that there's been one to break the barrier there. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that the less the UFC can involve themselves with that kind of thing, the better. But, I mean, I think it's going to become an issue the more Disney probably starts to push. Or what are these kind of outside company and not outside company, but... And the you know sponsors, I mean? you know? Yeah, yeah. You're not going to want to tie... You know, some of these sponsors aren't going to want to tie themselves and get themselves in hot water with, you know... Um, being with working with companies that are allowing this type of stuff, yeah. but the UFC does also have a history of kind of just brushing stuff off and you know moving forward, and that they're being consistent. Mm-hmm. So we can't be mad at that because we always ask for that from them. Um, so that's that's it. Unless you have anything else from the card, nope. um, you know, what, as much as we kind of were like not sure about this card, I mean this this card was full of nothing but like finishes and amazing fights for the most part. Yeah. I, I would, I would say I would liken it to the Paris card last time. Um, but I even thought there were better finishes and, and some better fights than that. Yeah. The matchups were great themselves. And then the main event gave you all the storyline you needed. So I right. mean, the card overall was, was honestly ended up being pretty fantastic. <laughs> right. And, and you know, even looking at like the main card, like if I were to tell you those same, all the guys that won on the main card are going to be the main card, you know, five pay-per-views from now, it ain't going to be like Justin Toffa again, yeah. Tyson Pedro, Manel Cop. Like, mm-hmm. it's not going to be that. It's going right. to be like, oh, these guys bring it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that's kind of what I expected. I expected, you know, there's not storylines here, but those those Aussie New Zealand guys, they just, yeah. they put it all out there. Yep. Um, I do want to ask you, who is your biggest winner from this card? Okay, biggest winner. Man, I've, I mean... Low hanging fruit would be Sean Strickland, mm-hmm. um, but I think at the at the same time, uh, the middleweight division maybe like mm-hmm. I just think that him winning just blows it wide open, and right. I think there it's less likely to see an Adesanya rematch, which again I think just opens the doors wide open for the middleweight division to start shuffling things around, and and uh, yeah, so I, that'd be my biggest winner. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, as much as it could be low hanging fruit, I think that there's only a couple fruits in it because there isn't a lot of like implications from like. You know, Tyson Pedro isn't looking at a top five opponent based off his win, Justin Taffa. So I had Strickland or Volkov because Volkov's putting himself in a position now where he's a top, probably a a borderline top five heavyweight, could be top five depending on how the rankings shake out. For sure. um, And puts himself in a position to wait to kind of pick his shot and get a a path to the title. And then Strickland, obviously, you know, beating all the odds. um, uh, allowing the Drake curse to come back into effect. Um, I think he's he was a, a plus six forty, probably the biggest upset uh, ranking wise or um, odds odds wise yeah. um, we've had as far as a championship fight. Yeah. Um, and like I said earlier, man, that's just kind of been this year. You know, it's been you know we're living in a world where we're Colby Covington away from having you know Sean O'Malley, Sean Strickland, and Colby Covington as champions, yeah. and that would have you know who had that on their board? Nope. You know what I'm saying? There's a um, a lot of things there. And, um, but next I want to ask, who's your biggest loser? Biggest loser. Again, low-hanging fruit could be Izzy. Um, that's just a tough – that's going to be a tough loss to come back from, man. The, and the way he lost, you kind of talked about it and when we described it. It's not like he, he didn't have an injury. It wasn't a flash KO. Izzy was beaten in his own game, man. Mm-hmm. He, he went out there and was outstruck by the guy who I said, you know, almost a year ago, who's you're not going to beat Izzy with just a jab. 
right. and then he went out there and did it. So, I right. mean, it's going to be an interesting road back to wherever he wants to go for Izzy. And then just some of the comments from Eugene, or not from Eugene, but uh, just thinking about that dynamic between him and the coaches and, and his camp, and it, does he reassess some things? I just think Izzy's mm. got a lot to figure out after a loss like this. So I'm going to go with Izzy. Yeah, and uh, uh, the only reason I'm going to say who I'm going to say over Izzy is because Izzy has accomplished so much that if this was it, I mean, he still had a great run at middleweight, um, huge wins, probably one of the better five-year runs that anybody's had in a long time. My biggest loser is Tai Tuavasa here. Mm. You know, this is multiple times where he's being finished. Um, Three in a row. Yeah, and, you know, it's similar to a Derek Lewis, and he was able to turn around his last fight. But some of these guys that were at the top there, they were just kind of knockout artists or finding themselves in position to not get knockouts, and that's – you know that's it's not boding well for them but they're getting knocked out as well yeah. so and you know when it comes to heavyweight you don't get easy fights Mm-mm. you know i don't you're obviously you're not going to see ty having to fight like tafa because they're so close or whatever but there's other people who are coming up or he runs into a gelatin almeida or somebody like that which yeah. i mean he'll have to work his way back up to get to that but i'm just saying that there's guys like that who are coming up that yeah. are just going to be tough yeah for yeah. him to deal with um, so that's all we got for that. Go ahead and update us on our scores. Okay, so we all kind of picked fairly similar, so there wasn't too much of a points difference. You came you came away with two last night. Nate had three, and I had four. So the current standings are Nate with eighty, I have seventy two, and you have sixty five. Nice. All righty. Well, let's move into our uh, preview uh, for Noche UFC. This coming Saturday, September 16th, with a main card start time of 10 p.m. Eastern, the UFC returns to T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas for Noche UFC as the UFC celebrates Mexican Independence Day with a card full of some of their best Hispanic talent, headlined by Mexican champion Alexa Grasso rematching former champion Valentina Shevchenko. Um, so let's just jump right into the main event. Um, back in March, Alexa Grasso set the MMA world on fire with her upset victory over one of the pound-for-pound greats, Valentina Shevchenko. Valentina had defended her flyweight title seven times leading up to this fight. Uh, most people didn't give Garasso much of a chance in her fly- against the flyweight GOAT, but after coming up from strawweight, she won four in a row and got her chance at gold. She would go on to defeat Valentina by rear naked choke in round four, making her just the second person to defeat Valentina by finish and the first to do it by submission. In fact, she's the only person to beat Valentina in the UFC besides the Lioness, Amanda Nunes, who was Valentina's most recent loss beforehand back in 2017. Mm. But we've also had this story that we've seen play out with dominant champions losing their belt and bouncing right back and getting it in the rematch. Uh, Valentina will need to shore up her grappling defense and not let Garasso establish her boxing timing and range. Um, Shevchenko was able to get takedowns a lot, um, but Garasso was able to land some good leg kicks, use her boxing well, and ultimately her jiu-jitsu was uh, where she outclassed Valentina. This fight will be a battle of whose adjustments shine through. And worth noting, Valentina has only had two rematches, uh, one where she avenged, uh, avenged a TKO loss to Liz Carmouche, and then the other was the close decision loss to Nunes. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about this fight? Man, it's going to be a really tough... It's a tough fight to pick for, man. Like So in, in the back of my mind, you've got Nunes and Pena, right? Because we had a similar dynamic where Pena came out and she just set the world on fire. She took out Nunes and then they had their rematch. And Nunes won the rematch. She seemed mm-hmm. pretty dominant in it, but there were still moments in there for Pena. So now I'm looking at these two and I'm asking myself the same question. So, so is Shevchenko going to come back, make the small adjustments, and just run through Grasso? Or is Grasso really... Is she it, man? Like, mm-hmm. And so... I, 
I don't have a good answer, so I'm not confident about this pick. Yeah. Um. So, or well, I guess you, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll go first, into but. it. Um. The, you know what I will add is that you know what felt different about the the Garasso Shevchenko fight opposed to the Juliana and Amanda is, you know, it was a back and forth fight until the finish. It wasn't like yeah. a you know even with this main event from the, we just talked about with Shevchenko was he just like you know, Izzy ran into a wall and never got going, and this guy just, like, had his number completely. This was a close fight that was looking like, you know, Valentina was probably pulling away with the takedowns and some of the control, but Grosso stayed in it and obviously, you know, pulled out the submission win there. Um, but I'm also in a spot where it's just like, it's but it's Valentina. Yeah. You know, it's so hard to, to jump off of that. Um so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Valentina by decision because I think she's just going to make sure she doesn't put herself in a position um, to have to deal with the jujitsu as much. Whether that's, you know, just doing top control and if she feels like she's getting away from it, maybe just disengaging and standing back up. Because she still was doing fine in the, you know, some of the stand-up uh, exchanges. Yeah. But maybe this woke her up as well. You know, she had the Talia Santos fight that was close. Now she loses. Like, what happens when the bear is, like, fully poked is kind of mm -hmm. what I'm looking at. So um, I do think Garasso is still going to have a very good game plan and, and be very game. But I do trust that Valentina will make some adjustments and win by decision. Um, maybe do more kind of a, a stay back with the point distance fighting and maybe still use the takedowns because I believe she had like six for nine or something in that fight and was able to get a decent amount of control time. So as long as she stays away from allowing Garasso on her back, she should. I do think she should be able to squeak out a decision. Yeah, that I really like that pick. Um, I, I don't, man, like I said, I'm just not confident with this. So where I'm going to go, I'm actually going to take Grasso. I'm going to say fourth round submission. So oh, I, I think, yeah, I think we're going to see maybe a repeat. I, I don't think Grasso is going to finish the fight early. Mm -hmm. um, Shevchenko is just too good. She's, her distance management was great. Her takedowns were great. But I think that Grasso, because she won the fight the way she did last time, she might have this spark of like, okay, I know I can beat her. I know I can submit her. I know if I can get her back, you know, I can have a lot of success. Um, so I think that as far as adjustments, that's some adjustments that Grasso might make as far as perhaps being a little more pushing the pace um, grappling-wise and trying mm -hmm. to get her offense going as far as, you know, like I said, if she can get on, on Sevchenko's back, she knows she can have success there. And I just think when you lose the way that Shevchenko did, you, you don't get that out of your head. So I think that's going to be playing throughout the fight as well, and we'll see how that how the nerves potentially can affect Shevchenko in this rematch. So I'll take Grasso, and I'll say fourth-round submission. Not bad. I'll have to see what Nate uh, sends in the group. I'll have to make sure he knows what you picked. Forget Nate, man. Yeah. Like if, he doesn't, if he doesn't make a pick, he doesn't get points. That's where I'm at. Hey, we can do that as well. Uh, yeah. You go ahead and jump in and take this co-main event. Okay, so in our co-main event, we have a fantastic striking matchup between the rising star and number 14-ranked Jack De La Maddalena and number 13th-ranked Kevin Loudmouth Holland. JDM is on a five-fight win streak in the UFC since coming off of the Dana White Contender Series with four first-round knockouts and a dominant win over his late, late replacement uh, Basil Hafez back in July. Holland, who is two and two in his last four, with finishes over Santiago Ponzinibbio and Michael Chiesa, after dropping two straight to Hamzat Chimaev at catchweight in a unanimous decision loss to Thompson, um, is is looking to turn it around or continue his win streak in this fight against JDM. Um, it's also worth noting that since uh, Holland has returned to welterweight, he's 4-1 in welterweight bouts because that fight against Jemaya was a catchweight at 180. Um, so since being at 170, Holland has really kind of shown true in terms of looking really good as far as size and really competing with these guys. 
Um, both of them are looking to crack the top 10 and are sure to bring an absolute slugfest to the Octagon on Saturday. Both these guys like to throw hands, and it's going to be super fun. Yeah, man, this one's uh, this one's a little bit tough for me, man, because, um, you know, you kind of do forget the success sometimes that Holland's had and the people he's fighting. I mean, it's not... Chiesa and obviously Hamza are the two biggest one, but Chiesa's the the ranked one before. Like as far as like, oh, this kind of makes a little bit of sense. The mm-hmm. Hamza thing was just kind of like a, we'll see what happens. Obviously that weird shuffle. Ironically, that's the ep- last episode we did here together. Oh, was it? Yeah, huh. is okay. when we had the big shuffle with Tony Ferguson and all mm-hmm. that. Um, for Jack, man, you know, you might worry about him dealing with the the height, but Randy Brown was six three as well. Mm-hmm. The other thing though is Kevin Holland has an eighty one inch reach, yeah, uh, which is longer than Volkov, um, and he uses it very well. He throws straight punches. He uses that jab. Um, obviously, we know that he's had his issues with the wrestling thing, but he's still a very good grappler. Obviously, he also got outstruck by Thompson. Don't forget that, right? For sure. Um, so it's it's tough to decide if if Jack is ready for for that because his last fight was a little bit tougher um another one of those guys making a debut that you know if he has a full camp maybe that goes a little bit different you never know um but i do i do really like jack um i think that you know obviously he's a finisher but he's very well rounded um and i think that he just has kind of that um his hands are like magnets for people's chin man when he gets to land and, and kevin holland gets hit you know he takes chances um, you know, he tries funky stuff and sometimes that gets him hit. And I think that Jack will also look to utilize some control, whether it is against the cage or maybe looking for some takedowns. I don't think that he's above that. Um, but it's so hard to pick against Kevin Holland, man. Cause the guy, I mean, cause you, one, you don't know what you're going to get from him, but the ground game is so good and he is so kind of wild on his feet that he can get away with that. And I mean, it's not like this guy has ever lost to like a scrub. You know, we're talking about Tiago Santos, Brendan Allen, uh, Derek Brunson, Vittori, Hamza, and Wonderboy. Like he these, beat Allen, didn't he? Um, he beat Brendan Allen. No, he lost. He oh, that's submitted. right. He got yeah, he got choked out. Yeah. Um, but I, and so at this point, I got to decide if uh, Jack Della is at that level. Um, I'm gonna take a chance here. Um, you know, Jack, I got to say taking a chance. Nathan would probably try to get on my head about it because he is the favorite in it. But I do feel like a lot of people really like Holland in this. But I'm going to take Jack Della. I'm going to say he wins by decision. I think he can um, use his boxing and kind of hold hold Holland against the cage a little bit and um, just kind of wear on him. But I think that his striking is really good. And like I said, he's able to find taller guys' chins a lot. And I think that he might be able to do that against Kevin Holland. But Kevin Holland is tough to put away. So I think he's going to win by decision. Yeah, that was my pick. Um, So that's (laughs) rough. Um, Because I don't know that JDM is going to be able to put away Holland. Um, But at the same time, Holland, like you said, he gets hit. Like the fight against Santiago, like that was pretty back and forth until right at the end there he was able to get that that knockout. Um, And their striking is just so unique. I I do think the height and reach presents an interesting problem, which, yeah, there's the Randy Brown example, but that didn't last long. Right. Um, That was pretty quick. Um, But at the same time, man, just JDM just, he hits really hard. Yeah. So I do think it's possible for him to finish Holland. I think it's not as likely as a decision, but um, I like that possibility better than a Holland decision. So I'm going to take JDM. I'll say, hmm, I guess I'll say third round KO. Ah, Hang on, let me think about that (laughs) sometime. Because I don't know if it'll happen in the first. I'll say JDM. Yeah, I'll go second round knockout for JDM. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's definitely a world where Kevin Holland just, you know, uses that length, does it really well, keeps JDM at bay. Um, 
But for, you know, Holland's only been knocked out once. He's been subbed three times. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, we just got to determine if, if JDM is on the level of the guys that he's been beaten by. Um, and not all those guys have done it by wrestling. Obviously, Wonderboy doing it by striking, but Wonderboy's also kind of like an outlier when it comes to striking. So sure. we'll see how that goes. Um, the rest of the card has a lot of uh, potential. Obviously, they have uh, Raul Rosas Jr. making his return against Terrence Mitchell. Um, Rosas Jr. is a, a minus 550 favorite, um, biggest favorite on the card, I believe. Wow. Um, I mean, they must have a lot of faith in him making the, them adjustments. Terrence Mitchell, who he's going against, is a guy who um, lost his last fight by KO, but before that had like seven or was it like eleven finishes in a row, submissions and knockouts. So that could be interesting. Um, another person definitely watch out for is Fernando Padilla. Um, he only he only has one fight in the UFC, but he knocked out Julian Arosas in the first round, and it was a, a banger. And he came on. Um, you know he's fifteen and four. He just looked really, really nasty. He's twenty six still, so he's still young. He's going against Kyle Nelson, who's always a tough fight. You got Lupi Godinez on the card. Um, Roman Kopilov was supposed to fight Fluffy Hernandez, but he Anthony Hernandez had to pull out of that fight. Um, you have Tracy Cortez on the card as well. So it's so a lot of people on this card. Um, and if we know any, you know, as a boxing fan, if you know anything about Mexican fighters, you know they bring it. And I feel like it's kind of crazy how. You know, this is three kind of nationality uh, cards in a row with the France and then um, Australia. Australia, and then now you're going to Mexico. Yep. So if it's anything like how those two have been, um, I think we got a, a banger on our hands yep. with this one. So uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the news. Going on the news. Mm, going on the news. Mm, mm. If you don't like it, Brandon will punch you and give you a bruise. It's just so good, man. <laughs> it's always hits. Um, not a lot this week in the news, but we do have some fight announcement and a couple other things. Uh, Grant Dawson will be fighting Bobby Green, King Bobby Green, at UFC Vegas 80, uh, October 7th. Um, I, I'm, it's the main event as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of goes along with some of these other ones we've been making this week where it's just yeah. like, uh, Grant Dawson is really good. Yeah. Uh, and Bobby Green looked really good his last fight. Yeah. But his last fight was against a Tony Ferguson, who's right. been, been going the way he's going the last few years. Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, we're going to watch. It's going to be fun because Bobby Green isn't in boring fights, mm-hmm. and Grant Dawson is really good. Yeah. Um, so we'll just have to see how that one turns out. Uh, another big fight announcement a week later. Uh, the headline for that fight night card will be Sadiq Youssef and Edson Barbosa, yeah. uh, October 14th. Obviously, huge Barbosa fan. Yeah, but that's another one, though, where it's like, yeah, yeah good matchup. Yeah, but. and, you know, Yusuf um, is a guy I feel like who's kind of been, he kind of gets hot and then he disappears. And you mm-hmm. don't see him for, you know, X amount of time. Obviously, one of the best uh, uh, Twitter or X and uh, prediction guys. I don't know if you guys ever, have you ever seen any nope. of his videos? It's literally the most ridiculous stuff. He kind of just says stuff by looking at guys and it doesn't talk about how they fight or nothing. <laughs> it's it's really funny. <laughs> Highly suggest looking to that. I'll send you some stuff. Okay. And then Barbosa obviously coming off the Billy Q, that knee knockout, which was nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just always looked like in super shape. So that's another one we have. And then. Um, you know, speaking of Randy Brown, uh, November 18th, Michael Morales and Randy Brown will be meeting at Vegas 82. Um, if you guys haven't seen Michael Morales fight, he's going to be a problem for welterweights. Um, very well-rounded young guy. And then Randy Brown is always fun. Yeah. Um, next thing I have in the news. Um, okay. Um, 
uh, game bred bare knuckle MMA. Um, Junior Dos Santos fought Fabrice El Verdum and won by split decision in the main event. Yeah. Um, you did you watch the highlights yeah. or did you watch no, it all? I, I watched the whole fight. Um, I I don't I thought it was a little little more clear cut than that. Um, I thought Dos Santos. Uh, I, I thought Junior did well well in, more than enough to take mm-hmm. away the victory. Um, but it also wasn't the most. I mean, there wasn't the biggest moments in that fight. Like there right. wasn't anything crazy. Go ahead. I was going to say, besides Fabricio's eyelid hanging on for right, which I think like for, I didn't rewatch any of it, but from what I can tell, a majority of that damage was done in the clinch. Like mm. it, like it was um, Fabricio would ha- had like an over under and had Junior pressed up against the cage, and those little kind of just you know they seem like they're just annoying shots to the side of the face are really different when you don't have gloves on, <laughs> right? And because it was one of those exchanges that Fabricio came out, and then all of a sudden he's just bleeding all over the place. So I think that's one of those added elements where bare knuckles pretty interesting because you mm. can't you can't really just chill in, right. in those clinch positions with with no gloves on like that so that was pretty interesting to watch but um but yeah good yeah i'd be interested to see how like even ground and pound translate because you see a lot of guys miss yeah on, on big ground and pound shots and at bare knuckle that probably does i mean you could break a hand in one shot yeah there was a couple fights i didn't watch them where they had some pretty decent grappling exchanges and ground and pound exchanges but as far as Fabricio and Junior Fabricio just could not get a hold of Junior in, in order mm-hmm. to initiate a take and the, the takedowns he did initiate Junior just had great defense and was able to transition to get on top and then disengage so yeah, as a huge Junior fan I, I'm, I'm excited for him to find this kind of resurgence yeah I mean he hasn't won in a while and and for, it's ironically you know his debut in bare knuckle MMA. He beats the guy he beat in his debut in the UFC in Fabricio. And like you said, I mean they both looked very healthy yeah. in there. In very that strong. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and with that win, Junior will get a chance to fight the winner of Big Country, Roy Nelson, and Alan Bel- Blant- Belcher? Belcher. Belcher. Alan Belcher. Uh, they fight in October, I believe. So he will be fighting the winner of that for the heavyweight title of the bare knuckle MMA. Mm-hmm. So big things for uh, Masvidal to kind of get these guys and, and kind of revitalize them and give them a shot. Yeah. Um, then I got a little bit of jujitsu news. Um, sad Nate's not here to kind of relish in this, but Conor McGregor receiving his black belt from his coach Kavanaugh, uh, 20 says 20 years of hard work. I believe I seen the video and I think Kavanaugh said he's been doing jujitsu with him for like 15 years yeah. or something crazy like that. Um, you know, and, and he's not the guy that you're necessarily going to see, uh, you know, going out and winning worlds. But if you're not, you know, if you're not a, a avid, like a good grappler, I, I believe he'd probably give you a lot of problems. He, he's got actually a couple of matches you can see. I think when he was a purple belt, he did a, a no-gi match. I don't know if it was a no-gi world or what, but you can see a couple of matches from, from him. It's also like we forget that he out-wrestled Max, man, like <laughs> yeah. with a, with a torn ACL or MCL, whatever it was. Like I sometimes I forget that fight happened. And you go back and watch that, man. Connor's jiu-jitsu is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he got submitted by Nate Diaz, okay. He got submitted by Habib, okay. Like, who right. doesn't do that, right? So, no, I think Connor's jiu-jitsu is probably a lot better than a lot of people want to give him credit for. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at his build, too, those legs have to be extremely powerful. Like, his ability to lift you up and sweep is probably ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know he has, obviously, arm strength. He probably feels like a 1,000 pounds on top of you. Like, yep. um, But good for him. And then the last thing I have is Aljamain Sterling will be facing Nathaniel Wood in a grappling match September 30th on Polaris 25. Uh, the event takes place in Wales. Cool. 
So That's it'll be fun. interesting to see, you know, Aljamain back in action. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people are probably going to assume that he's going to be beating Nathaniel Wood here. But Nathaniel, I mean, you never know. Uh, the Europe and the UK have been having a little bit of a resurgence with their uh, grappling abilities. Yeah. So. Nathaniel Wood's a good grappler, too. I, I've followed some of his stuff on YouTube. He's got some pretty cool breakdowns for some of his jiu-jitsu stuff as it translates to MMA. So it'll be cool to see these two guys who are obviously big MMA guys just jump into that world for a little bit and see them compete. So Right. All right, well, that's all I have. You have Song of the Week, so what are we going with? Song of the Week is going to be Beast by Rob Bailey and the Hustle Standard, but it's the Southpaw remix from that movie. Well, hopefully it's on uh, an Instagram, so when I put it in the story, it'll show up. You should like that one. Yeah, it should be on there. I think. Okay. Uh, well, what's your one for the people? Oh, man, one for the people. Um, man, I don't know. Um, got pulled over. A couple of days ago. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been pulled over in a long time. So that was kind of a uh, an interesting one with a kid, too. Mm. So that was fun because he's crying. Do you get then, nervous when you get pulled over? No, I, not at all. I try I try to be calm because in my mind, I just try to, I don't know, I look at it like a process. So I'm like, I know mm. I just got to keep my hands here, answer whatever dumb question he's got, and then hope he just gives me a warning, which he did. Nice. Still have no tickets to this Probably day. Probably because of the kid, I'm guessing. Probably that If you were by yourself, he's like, dude, I need to check your trunk. I don't yeah. know what's in there. I was going uh, 32 and a 20. I was going through mm. I was going through Jackson Morrow, and he got me. There's a lot of kids so. out there, so you're it's really dangerous yeah. by you. Yeah. Uh, funny story, the only time I've ever been pulled over with Nathan, he pulled the, like, get the phone out and record the cop while he was coming up to him. Nate did? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Dude, he he's, seems like one of those oh, dude. guys. It's one of those things where I was almost more nervous because he was the one who was going to be talking to the cop. Yeah, that. see, that to me is like, I feel like if you do that, you're just you're increasing your chances you're going to get a ticket or some sort of yeah. like odd. I don't think he ended up getting anything because we were coming back from a concert, and it was that part of 31 where it goes from like 45 to 35. Okay. He just caught him in that transition. I'm No, I'm overly probably overly cooperative like he was like you got your license for me i was like yes it's in my pocket right over here i'm gonna have to reach to grab I'm it gonna get this and, watch my hands. and he was like okay yeah you're fine and like i got it did everything and at the end of it he was like you're real cooperative so i'm just gonna give you a give you a warning and i was like okay cool so yeah i do want to be there though for Nate to do that again because that's just silly. Oh, i think you well i don't know did he had the window like halfway rolled like barely rolled no, down he, to you. like he i can rolled hear you it, just fine no he rolled it down but he definitely wasn't going i mean he definitely he just doesn't Assume like he's just not gonna give up that uh, authority. I feel like or that space to feel. It's just a silly game to play. I yeah. feel like yeah, it's, it's the game you play with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, my one for the people. Uh, just appreciate the the people that did come out for the kickback on Friday. Yeah. Um, we knew it was probably gonna be a little bit of a lighter one with the card not being as exciting, but two ninety four is on the way. And um, we definitely want people to come out for that. A yeah, lot of implications from that card. Got, got some prep time for that one too. Right. So a few weeks. So get your questions together. Um, we might, you know, Nate had said on the the last uh, on the Friday kickback show that, you know, we might try to do something in between for something else like the Fury and and Ganu fight or something just to get some content. Yeah, just get a little bit of and just a little bit of parody in what we offer. So. Um, and also it's football season. So right now we're playing. I'm not, I get all these updates, but I've been <laughs> scrolling past them. I have no idea what's going on. So we're about to go watch that. So that's going to be fun. Um, yeah, you know, 293 was fun, Ch- shook a lot of stuff up. So, uh, we'll have to see what the aftermath is. Uh, hopefully Nate likes this episode. He usually has a lot of critiques, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, just appreciate everybody for listening. Come, uh, come back next week. Where we're going to give you some more stuff, uh, with Noche UFC. Peace. Peace.